Hi, welcome to valuationpodcast.com, a podcast and video series about all things related to business and valuation. My name is Melissa Gregg. I'm a financial expert witness in St. Louis, Missouri. During this episode, we will discuss some of the top questions regarding divorce and business valuations. One of the main questions that people need to know or want to know um, is what we're going to cover today. So there's a handful of questions that business owners typically ask when they are contemplating divorce and they may not have filed, they may not have even discussed it with their spouse. And I want to give you a little bit of information so that you can be prepared if you uh, decide to move forward with this process. So one of the biggest questions we have is how should I run my business if I'm getting divorced? Can I take on more debt? Can I start a new business venture? And most of the time, what everybody is telling the business owner to do while they're getting divorced is to continue to run the business just as you have in the past, not to do anything drastically different, um, not to try to arbitrarily lower the value or increase the value or do anything that will seem um, visible and evident when you go to trial. So if you need to take on more debt and you have a business reason to do it, then be prepared to defend that business reason for taking on more debt. If you have a new business venture, again, being very clear and open and honest about what that entails, whether it involves marital money, where, whether it involves business money, um, and how that's going to be funded is going to be pretty important. Most of the time, as a business owner who's getting divorced, it's going to be really important to be transparent and to be upfront with all the information about your business, about what you're doing, and the actions that you're taking. Um, it doesn't mean that you need to ask for permission to do any of these things, but you certainly want to be mindful of the interpretation that certain things could they could seem different or they could seem suspect if you're doing them. So as long as there's a business reason, then pretty much you continue to run your business as if you had been doing it the whole time. Um, another question that we will typically get is how do we split the business or will I have to continue to own this business with your spouse? So traditionally in um, divorce. Divorce is state specific. So that means if you're getting divorced in Missouri, there are going to be certain rules. And if you're getting divorced in Illinois or any other state, there are going to be other rules. Um, and so you need to work with an attorney and an expert that understands those rules pertaining to businesses in your state. But traditionally, how do we split the business? One person actually will remain in control and own the business while the other person may receive other property. So let's say you have a business worth a million dollars and you have a house worth a million dollars. It may be that somebody takes the house and somebody keeps the business. So in essence, you're just trying to equal up the assets and try to give each person traditionally, um, a 
an equal portion of all the assets. So what happens with the business is it becomes one of the things you own on your personal balance sheet. So you will have houses, cars, uh, retirement funds, financial securities, and things like that. And then there will be a line item for the business. And that's where a valuation expert comes in and provides a value for the business and then testifies in court. Um, typically, the court doesn't want a divorcing couple to continue to own the business. Now, there are times where a couple, are, both of them are involved in the business, and that could be that they both remain um, as owners, but traditionally that would be something that the parties would have to agree to and convince the judge that that is going to be the best situation for that couple. So another question that we get is how do you protect some of your investments that you owned before you were married? There's a lot of ways to do this. Most of the time, financial planners get involved around the time that you get married. And so there could be a prenuptial agreement that is put in place that would describe what would happen at any point during the marriage. If it were to end, what would happen? Um, what would happen to the property? What would happen if somebody needs to pay um, alimony or maintenance? And maybe what would happen with future income, prior income, past everything. It's usually outlined. The problem with prenuptial agreements is they also have to be fought in court. And so in order to keep them in place, you may have to fight about some of the terms um, when you get to court. So another thing that people can do when they get divorced is you're trying to de decipher what you held at the date of marriage and what has increased over time. So let's say you have one share of Apple uh, or Google stock and that share of stock you owned prior to the marriage. And then you decided to leave it as a security and it grew in value. So it appreciated in value that appreciation and value may still remain separate because you owned the one share of stock. But now let's say that stock split and now it's two shares of stock. Or in another situation, um, what was that additional share of stock? Was it a stock split or was it a stock dividend? Um, there could be additional monies that are earned over the time that you have that uh, investment. And so what we're trying to figure out is what is marital and what is separate. Um, sometimes in certain states, the initial share of Google stock is separate and the income is marital. The appreciation in that asset could be still separate. So a lot of times, if you come into the marriage with significant assets, most of the time you would want some sort of prenuptial agreement so that you understand what you came into. But in other situations, you may have to trace those assets. And so again, an expert would come in and say, okay, this is what you owned at the date of marriage. This was the income 
interest, dividends, appreciation in the asset, sometimes over a 10 or 15 or even five-year marriage, you could have sold that Google stock. You should have you could have invested in some other type of stock and things start to be uh, transmuted, which means they change or it could be commingled. So now you've moved marital money and separate money together. And all of those types of situations um, will need some analysis. And typically the person who is saying that that asset is separate has the burden of proof to prove what portion was separate and what portion is marital. So sometimes when people get married, they will have investments and this could be inheritance and other types of monies that they put into an account and all of the income or um, interest dividends is not deposited in that same account, but it's actually deposited into another account or a marital account. So those could be some of the ways to deal with that particular situation. Uh, one of the biggest questions that people usually have is, am I going to have to pay my spouse alimony or child support? Um, and this is a question that is kind of has a depends on it. You know, like we don't exactly know. It really is given your situation. And so when you're looking at alimony, um, each state has different rules about how they're going to award alimony. And some states call it maintenance. Um, and so this is really a legal issue of how much did each spouse make? Um, is it an average of the past three years? Is it looking at the most recent year? Um, what is the analysis of that income? And then is it pre-tax income, post-tax income? And at this point, uh, maintenance and alimony, when it is paid, it is paid after tax. And so the person who is receiving the income um, has to pay maybe $1,000 a month to the other party, they would already pay taxes on that income and then pay that $1,000 directly to the other party. But that other party is not going to be taxed on that information or on, on that amount. Um, and it really depends on the state, the judge, the situation, uh, whether that person could go and make money. Uh, sometimes there is a vocational rehabilitation specialist comes in and says, yes, I understand you may not have worked for the past 20 years, but you have degrees or you have an education that you could utilize. And they come in and provide an expert um, opinion on what you could make if you were to go out into the workforce. Um a couple other things that you have to keep in mind is the business. Is the business paying a W-2 wage? Is it distributions? What type of income is coming from the business? And so all of those things are taken into account. Now, child support is a little bit different. Child support is also based on the income from both parties, but it could also be based on how much they're paying for the children's activities, health insurance, um, other types of support, as well as what is the visitation schedule. So are the kids going to be with dad or mom more than 50% of the time? Um, and is there a concession for that amount? So in the state of Missouri, there is a form 14 that people can fill out and try to start 
to look at what the amount of child support could be. Most of the time, though, discussing what potential alimony or child support could be is best handled with an attorney that can help you understand your state issues, as well as an expert that could tell you what is some of the analysis around the income. Another question that comes about when you have a business that is involved or multiple businesses involved and you're getting divorced is, do we have to hire two experts? And do I have to pay for both? So if you're the business owner, do you have to pay for both experts? Um, Traditionally, each party hires the experts. So the wife will hire a business valuation expert and the husband will hire a business valuation expert. Now, these two experts traditionally may have two different values. So a little bit of business valuation is art and a little bit is science. So there could be ways to value a company, but two different experts could possibly come up with two different values and they could be completely different. Now, remember the the real purpose of the expert in this situation is to be an educator for the court. So the judge or jury, what we're doing is we're coming in and taking a look at what the situation is and then trying to give the judge or jury some type of information in order to determine what the situation is. So both experts come in, they usually have uh, backgrounds that are similar, but they may come up with two different values and trying to contrive the values for each of the sides. So there are times when each side will have to pay for their own experts, but most of the time that's coming out of marital money. So there could be a couple that is already separated. They have separate bank accounts. They're doing everything separately and they would have to pay for their experts, their attorney, their business valuation expert, if they had a voc rehab expert or any of those people. Um, There are other cases where if you have one wage earner or one business owner that is contributing to the marital funds, that all of these experts or attorneys are going to come out of that marital fund. Um, So essentially, you're kind of splitting the cost, um, but you're both you're both paying for it in essence. There are also times when you could hire one expert and the one expert is going to just work with both of the couple, both of the parties of the couple, and both attorneys. And this is a little bit different variation where they come in and a lot of times we are not communicating directly with either party, but we are communicating to all of them as a whole. So all the emails go to both people and both attorneys. And what this does is allow you to have a little bit more transparency in the process and allows the business valuation person to basically educate you about the valuation. How does it work? 
it also could potentially allow you to settle some of these situations. Traditionally, a business valuation or the financial issues are pretty big issues in a divorce that cause people to fight over those issues as well as go all the way to court and settle them in front of the judge. If you have one expert, you may be able to talk through some of the valuation issues, um, talk through some of the financial issues and come to an agreement on those big financial pieces, and then only take a few things to court and uh, that you may disagree on. You may disagree on something with the kids, you may disagree on the parenting plan or the calendar um, of visitation and things like that. Another question that we have is, do I have to file for divorce or are there other options? So, there's a lot of different ways that you can get divorced. Typically, you could, you know, you could sit down now with your spouse and say, okay, we agree that you stay in the house and I'll keep this car and, um, you know, I'll keep the business and I'll pay you $5,000 a month for the next three years for maintenance or alimony. And you sit down and it's kind of called a kitchen table because essentially what the couple is doing is sitting down and just talking through all of the issues that they have. And if they can come to an agreement, then they can go ahead and, and they're done. If there are issues, which traditionally, if you're getting divorced, there are communication issues potentially, there could be financial issues, there could be relationship or communication issues, and there could be um, issues related to the kids. So another option is if you agree to most of the things, but there may be a few things that you need to talk through, or you have a hard time communicating with your spouse, then you could call in a mediator. Now a mediator could be an attorney, it could be a former judge, um, it could be a financial person. It could be a mental health person. Um, there's a, not a lot of rules around mediation. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. Most of the time they need some significant training in order to mediate something, um, whether it be a family issue or a kid issue. But what the mediator is there to do is not really solve your problems, but to actually help you talk through them so that you can come up with some solutions. And it really is to facilitate that the couple comes up with those solutions, not necessarily the mediator. And then you could write up everything in uh, a memo of understanding um, or some type of document. Again, mediation is not binding, which means that you guys can go to mediation, you can agree to some things, but the reality is if both of you walk away and you don't like that, um, you don't have to agree to it. But you do try, the mediator does try to put everything in writing and have it so that you can take that memo to an attorney in order to file um, your divorce in the court system. So just because you do some of these methods doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with an attorney. You, one of you is still going to need to file all the paperwork for the divorce, even if you've agreed to all of the, the things that you've been talking about. Uh, one additional thing, so mediation is just typically one mediator. Um, I do a lot of co-mediation. So I'll work with an attorney or mental health professional and I'll come in and help with the business valuation 
or the financial um, aspects. You know, what are your expenses going forward? What is the income going forward? And what is your list of assets and debts? And so we'll talk through some of those types of things. An additional option that people are not as familiar with is called collaborative divorce. And there's a couple different variations on collaborative divorce. One is each person, each person in the couple gets an attorney. So there's two attorneys, uh, two spouses, and then there's usually somebody called a financial neutral that comes in and does everything that I've just described. Look at the financial picture of the couple and then there is traditionally a one coach or two coaches. So there could be one coach for each party or there's a coach kind of in the middle. And typically it is a mental health professional. So a therapist, a psychologist, but their role isn't really to provide therapy to the couple, but their role is to facilitate the discussions to kind of lead um, the couple through this process. and. It is, it's more structured um, mediation essentially, but there's also some, another significant uh, thing involved with collaborative divorce, which is both couple, both parties determine that they will commit to this process and they will not go to court. And if they do fall out of the collaborative divorce process, then they have to go hire new attorneys, a new financial expert, um, everybody has to be hired and the people that they were working with in the collaborative process can no longer work with them. So in some cases, this will really help the parties get to the end because they don't have that capability of, of just stopping the process like mediation. Um, but in other situations, if they get to something that they just can't resolve, uh, they may have to then hire other attorneys and go to court. The final process is litigation, which is what we traditionally know is you file your papers, everything is communicated through the attorneys, uh, you get a trial date, you do depositions, um, and it's kind of fighting or disagreeing on most concepts and you need really somebody, a judge. In some states, they may have a jury, but most of the time you have a judge coming in and saying, okay, this is what's going to be appropriate. A lot of times in litigation, people are not in control of the process. So in mediation and collaborative divorce, you are more in control because you're stating some of the issues that you have. You know, maybe there are a hundred reasons why you need, you want to keep the main house or the marital home. Um, the judge may or may not care. If you guys can't agree, maybe it's going to be sold and you guys will just split the equity. So, um, and then in litigation, it doesn't mean that you can't settle it. Uh, there's a lot of negotiations and settlement discussions in a divorce um, at all stages, but Traditionally, there are some big issues or communication issues that don't allow the parties to really discuss the options and like settlement negotiations together. So they need some help. So a lot of times these discussions are facilitated through the attorneys and they come in and provide some information to each party and they then develop settlement 
offers. And so there could be, you know, I keep the house, you keep the lake home and we split the cars and we split all the bank accounts. You know, there could be offers. Um, there are some financial issues that complicate that, um, you know, when you have uh, sophisticated financial instruments, if somebody has stock options and things like that, um, it could be more complicated. But most of the time you do have other options other than just going to court. Um, but traditionally people will sit down with an attorney or financial person and talk through some of those options to see what is the best for that particular couple. Um, so if these are some of the main questions that people have regarding business valuations and getting divorced, obviously there are a ton more questions that we could cover, but if you'd like, and you have a specific question that you'd like to, us to cover live in any of the platforms that we're on in social media, feel free to text us at the number below 314-541-8163, or you can certainly reach out to us via email and we can answer your questions in some other format. So thanks for watching and uh, we'll see you next time.